shops have never been so mean. Shop from different stores on a shopping spree, but you're only charged one delivery fee. With a simple click and you will find all the malls you love, they're now online. So shop at home, same old time, your favorite mall is now online. With trusted brands from seven malls, Sunway E-Mall is now online. Shop now on sunwayemall.com. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Matt Splained. This week on Matt Splained's first Techtopia edition, we have a car crash that isn't Facebook, a car crash that is Facebook, age detection facial recognition software, moves to criminalize payments to ransomware groups, and Apple's latest device bricking software update. Whether we want it or not, Matt, we've got to start with Meta. Do we? Do we really, though? You know, we could talk about the weather. Um, me and my wife, we had some hedges in our garden pruned back this week. That's, well, that's quite nice. interesting. Yeah, it's quite yeah, interesting yeah. to talk about. You know, one of the disadvantages of this being a weekly show that's often recorded a few days ahead of broadcast is that mm. we can sometimes seem a little bit behind the, the curve when it comes to these breaking stories. So fortunately, with Facebook changing its name to Meta, we were able to report on the predictions mm. that the company was going to change its name, uh, although uh, we suggested, along with the reports at the time, that it might be something Horizon linked, yeah. which was in line with some of the company's uh, sort of emerging product names. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it turns out that Facebook, in its bid for ownership of the metaverse, has chosen the name Meta, Ooh. which should have been really obvious given um, Zuckerberg's penchant for imagination. You know, after <laughs> all, his company Facebook is basically a yearbook of faces. Mm. So I guess that we should all just be thankful that he decided to go with meta rather than verse. <laughs> now, uh, do you still maintain then that the the rebrand isn't linked to Facebook's current PR troubles? I do. You know, as I said a couple of episodes ago when we discussed this, you know, a corporate restructuring and rebranding exercise at this scale can take years. Right. You know, I think we're looking at around 12 to 18 months of planning and design just to get to, to this point. And I've asked a, a few other friends in the branding sector for their opinions as well. And their estimates range from 12 to 24 months. So I definitely think that um, it could be linked to the wider troubles they've had regarding aspects of privacy. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the kind of pending antitrust legislation that they're facing around the world. Mm. So restructuring that this could make it easier to argue that Facebook doesn't concentrate too much power in one place and also to present a view to legislators that uh, the different parts of the company, the different components are individual units rather than to to see these kind of meshed entities as one big Facebook. But in larger terms, I do think this is about that play for the metaverse and the fact that Facebook currently doesn't have youth appeal. In fact, it has, you know, the opposite. In branding Mm. terms, Facebook is effectively youth repellent. Right. Do you think this move is enough to get them past those current troubles, though? Well, that's why I questioned the timing of this when we chatted about it a couple of weeks ago. It is 
oddly timed to me because, mm. you know, this does make it look as though it's a mealy-mouthed way of escaping from all those negative stories, which mm-hmm. is why we've seen so much coverage of it being a way to escape those negative stories. Yeah. Uh, if anything, and as that shows, it draws more attention to the negative publicity. And it also plays to those stories as uh, uh, of Mark Zuckerberg being, you know, tone deaf uh, and a soulless robot because it wasn't essential for the company to do it now. This mm. is genuinely something that no one except Facebook really cares about. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it had been me rather than a, a none too successful former British Deputy Prime Minister running their PR, <laughs> I would have uh, shelved this announcement until they could have spun it a little bit more positively. Um, do you want to go into the details about the metaverse itself? No. Yeah, okay. I, I guess that doesn't <laughs> really make for good radio. Uh, if you want to know more about what uh, a metaverse is or what it could be, um, you know, who will own it and why you should care one way or the other, you can go back to the show we did a few weeks ago. I think it was uh, late August. That would be MSP 176, where we talk about the different uh, development and ownership models of the uh, metaverse. Uh is that us done with what seems to now be a weekly Facebook crisis update? I mean, I, I think so, unless there's anything urgent you can think of. Uh, well, we could mention in passing a couple of stories. So there's one story that I just read before we started to record this, that Facebook is uh, suspending its uh, facial recognition uh, analysis of, uh, of photos that are uploaded to the system. I don't know much more about that, so we'll probably come back to that in a, a week or so. Uh, but also, there was a, another story that uh, I noticed on The Verge about an Elon Musk fan page on Facebook. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. and it was briefly verified as being an official Musk page. Now, it clearly wasn't. It was never trying to be. Uh, it's not clear how long Facebook gave it that official verification status for, and that status was quickly revoked. But it is very weird. You know, Facebook is usually quite stringent when it comes to giving out that verified status to any accounts. Mm -hmm. And you need all kinds of information. Um, Sometimes it's incredibly personal stuff, you know, passport details or company registration information, if it's for a a brand or company, Mm -hmm. just to get that status. And the process can take a long time. I mean, I I know of a lot of companies that have had to appeal several times just to get verification status over something that they they own. Mm. And, you know, to this day, I can't get myself verified. Well, I mean, to be fair, Matt, there's there's a little bit of doubt as to whether or not you're actually a real person. Well, you know, for tax reasons, I've been arguing for a number of years that I'm a non-corporeal being domiciled in the Virgin Islands. Um, but, you know, that's another story. So on, on its own, um, this report isn't a big deal. It just makes an interesting footnote because it does highlight that ongoing issue, which is common across all social media platforms, which is how difficult it is to prove that somebody is who they say they are. In fact, we've got another story coming up about technologies that are helping with that kind of online verification. Now, Twitter suspended its verification process for a while, for, for a few years, I think, because of this kind of issue. And they only relaunched it earlier this year. And interestingly, I think it was paused after they verified the account of uh, one of the organizers of the uh, Charlottesville far right-wing rally in the US back in, I think, 2017. Mm. And of course, this year, 
we have a report coming out that uh, found that Twitter's algorithm tends to disproportionately uh, amplify uh, conservative or right-wing views and stories on the platform. Uh, All of which means, let's go from one car crash to another. And that would be Apple's car crash detection service. Yeah. Now, automatic crash detection services that will dial the emergency services automatically for you if you have an accident, they're not actually new. You know, Google has had a version of this for a while, and a lot of car manufacturers have this baked into the operating systems of the the vehicle. So you might wonder why Apple is bothering with this. I wasn't. I mean, at least you're paying attention. You know, we we focus on the little wins on this show. So Apple is, you know, very gung-ho about its AirPlay car kit integration. Uh, Mm. I think I read one report that said that up to 80% of new cars in the US have AirPlay baked in. And that makes sense because I think the US is the one market where iOS is more dominant than Android. So not having this functionality means Apple is offering less than its competitors are offering. Mm. And this is about money. It's not just about convenience and convergence. General Motors pulls in $2 billion a year in revenue with its OnStar automotive connectivity service. So there's big money to be made in selling ancillary services and subscriptions via these car-based systems. And as we mentioned in last week's uh, episode about the iPod, you know, Apple is never shy of pulling or delaying functionality if it doesn't think it works right. And it's accident detection systems in things like the Apple Watch up until now, like fall prevention and that kind of thing. They've been okay, but they haven't been great. I mean, Apple doesn't always pull the things that don't work, though, Matt. No, the latest version of its operating system, Monterey, seems to be running into some bugs. So whenever I update anything with Apple, you know, you can guarantee that either the Wi-Fi or the Bluetooth is not going to work the way that it did before. That seems Mm. to be, you know, one of the constants that keeps my universe running. Uh, Monterey came out last week. Uh, Usually what I tend to do is update one of my machines to the new OS and keep the other one running the older version. And of course, I usually upgrade my newer machine first. So users are reporting some quite troubling bugs with uh, Monterey. One of the more serious and persistent ones is memory leak. This is something that happens when the system monitor doesn't take note that an application has been closed, so it continues to allocate a portion of the system's RAM to it. It -hmm. can even continue to accelerate and accumulate more and more RAM usage in some instances, triggering those messages that all the Mm. system memory has uh, run out. Now, it's usually cleared if you either hard quit the uh, application, force quit it, or restart the computer though some users have claimed that when they log back in, they get that system memory warning flashing up almost as soon as the computer comes back on. I mean, it's annoying, but it's not a game changer, is it? No, but uh, what I think is worse is the reports that the update is also effectively bricking some Macs with Intel processors. Now, something similar happened with last year's Big Sur update, After the update, the computer boots to a black screen and then nothing happens. The normal method to 
identify this kind of issue is to reset the system management controller. Mm. Now, if you've had an Apple computer for any length of time, which I know you have, Richard, um, mm -hmm. you'll probably be an unwilling expert at these SMC resets. <laughs> yes. Uh, but um, in, in some cases, these can't actually be done, especially with the non-battery-powered models like the Mac Mini, because right. the failed update affects all the ports, so the machine can't actually draw any power. So some users have uh, also reported that when they've taken in these brick machines to Apple for some kind of emergency resurrection, they've then been told that it's a problem with their machines rather than with the uh, software. I think someone Ooh. reported a, a, an estimate of $500 to replace a logic board. Oh dear. And we know that Apple does have some past form when it comes to dodging uh, software and hardware issues. And occasionally it's only owned up to them and started offering replacement schemes after there's been enormous public or legal pressure. Just to clarify, th this only affects older machines. Is, is that right? Well, you know, this is where the Apple universe gets a, a, a little bit uh, confusing and annoying because it depends what you mean by older machines. Uh, in Apple's parlance, you know, it only affects Intel-based Macs, but that's pretty much all of them up until, yeah. you know, early 2020. Uh, and I think I, I might be wrong on this, but the company is still selling some Intel models for some machines. So people have reported that laptops bought as recently as the middle of last year have become as uh, unusable. And the worst thing is that it seems to affect the machines randomly. So you can't pinpoint a model or a year of manufacture as being more or less susceptible to these bugs. So I would advise uh, everyone to wait until Apple releases version 12.1 uh, of the software before you risk that update. Or if you do, make sure you do it on a machine that you can afford to have offline for a little while or spend some time troubleshooting. Incredible. Um, I think we're at risk of it becoming a proper tech show with actual news and, and useful tips and everything. Um, I'm pretty sure they will revert to, you know, to the usual type just after the break. Of course, you are tuned in to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Before Friday materializes, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Matt Splained. News, information, and expert insight. Three things you're unlikely to find on your average episode of Matt Splained. What's going on? I, I have to say that, that that and what you said before the break was actually very hurtful. Um, and I would admit to some emotion if it wasn't going to jeopardize that court of appeal application on my taxes. Oh, my inhumanity. And, uh, you know, just for your information, the next story is going to be news too. Um, now, we recorded last week's show too late to note that the popular gaming site Roblox was offline for three days over the weekend, starting last Thursday. Now, if you're not a kid or you don't have kids, you may not know what Roblox is. 
If you do have kids, then you know that Roblox is the most important gaming site on the web. Uh, it has uh, around 40 million users every day. And it's also another one of those companies that sees itself as being in the running to develop that de facto metaverse of tomorrow. And of course, Roblox, uh, like Fortnite makers Epic Games, has the advantage of actually being liked by the demographic that is likely to become the metaverse's initial user base. So th this is similar to the Facebook outage. Uh, it was an internal issue rather than a, a hacking attempt? Yeah, you know, we're still waiting for details of the cause of the shutdowns. Roblox CEO David Bazuki has... Uh, pledged to publish a post-mortem, but we'll see whether that comes out. There was speculation that the outage was to do with a tie-up that the company had done with the fast food chain Chipotle, uh, as it occurred, uh, the outage occurred shortly after the promo rolled out last Thursday. But Roblox quickly made it clear that it was coincidence, there was no causality there. Mm -hmm. They also clarified that this wasn't a hacking uh, attempt, and of course, no user data was at risk. But why would it be out for three days, though? I know that's a really long time for an internal um, outage. You know, the yeah. Verge, yeah, the Verge pointed out that uh, about half the um, company's users are under thirteen, so it probably made for a, an incredibly long weekend for for parents <laughs> because their kids were like, "Is it up yet?" Um, <laughs> I, again, you know, that just points to the superiority of raising cats rather than children. But um, normally, with these internal outages companies are able to switch to some kind of mirror servers or they mm. can limit the outage to certain pools of users. To be out for three days without those external factors like hacking is, as you said, quite unusual. Mm -hmm. uh, when Facebook's entire platform went down recently, it was to do with the unified platform that all the company's um, systems ran on. So even their technicians were unable to log on to rectify the issues that the company was facing. It's a bit like the situation for Apple's Monterey users. Facebook's outage temporarily bricked the system. Yeah, I mean, essentially, they, they bricked themselves out of resolving the issue. But it does highlight the problem of concentrating the power of something like the metaverse into the hands of one company, be it mm. Epic Games, Roblox, Facebook, or whoever else. If the metaverse is going to be the de facto evolution of the internet, there's enormous risk if something like a software update can switch it off for most, if not all, of the world's inhabitants for anything from a few hours to a few days, mm. especially if our payment systems, our travel cards, our ID systems, and everything else is baked into those platforms. And that's why we come back to those discussions about one company having too much power. You know, the, the internet now is so useful because it's distributed. Yes, it's inefficient. It's prone to stuff going wrong. It's slow. It's creaky. But, you know, there are workarounds when bits of it break. Episodes like Roblox and Facebook's outages show how important it is to have those alternatives. But we do have an actual hack attack. Um, the grief ransomware attack on the National Rifle Association in the US. Yeah, now I'm not going to wade into the politics side of this. You know, whatever you think of the NRA, ransomware attacks against large companies and entities are becoming increasingly common. And I should point out at the time we recorded this, the NRA hasn't admitted that 
it's been attacked or that its data is being held to ransom. It hasn't acknowledged that the data that was posted on the dark web by Grief is genuine. The reporters have noted that the NRA's email addresses appeared to be offline for quite some time. Uh, Now, all of this activity has led the US to impose economic sanctions against certain hacking groups, notably a a Russian-based gang called Evil Corp, which it claims that Grief is acting as a a front for. And that places companies uh, and organizations like the NRA in an awkward position. We've seen a, a number of companies over the last year or two paying multi-million dollar ransoms as a way to retrieve their information and get their systems back online quickly. But sanctions mean that the company is effectively breaking the law by paying that ransom. Mm. And further to that, they can be fined by the US Treasury for doing so. Doesn't that seem a little uh, counterintuitive? What, a government entity penalizing the victims of crime? Um, No, (laughs) heaven forbid. Um, But yeah, I mean, the the thinking behind it may be multifold. You know, a number of hacking groups base themselves in countries that tolerate them as long as their targets are international and not domestic. And those countries don't entertain requests to extradite them to, to face charges or agree to prosecute them locally. So the sanctions go after that money. And by extension, anyone, especially officials or politicians, who benefit from mm. those illegal payments. Mm. So in terms of the uh, company paying the ransom, the thinking may also be that it forces them to contact law enforcement because paying the ransom is illegal. Because being hacked is more than an embarrassment. It can negatively affect your share price and it can shake market confidence. So the fines can serve to reduce the incentive to cover up a ransomware attack and to make sure that those companies involve the cyber police. And in the longer run, the idea is that they provide a disincentive to the hackers. If you know that the companies are prohibited from paying you, then you go after different targets. Does that work as a disincentive? I know it seems a little bit tenuous, but the fact that Evil Corp is using the grief name uh, as a cover suggests that there may actually be something to the theory because the world of ransomware is actually very brand conscious. You know, you might even call it disreputation management. A company knows it's in trouble because of the name, because of the pedigree of the hacker group that attacks it. And that's the indication that it should pay immediately rather than try and fight. Mm. So if those groups are forced to use other covers to evade sanctions, it also helps to erode that reputation. Again, making it more likely that a target will work with the authorities rather than simply paying the money. Now, if it sounds like a risky scenario... You just have to look at who bears the risk. Uh, You know, you can look at it as the U.S. Treasury taking the long view and sacrificing the companies that are hacked today for the good of reducing the incentives in the market over the long run. But all I can say is that I'm really glad that I'm not part of that experiment. Okay, um, I think we've just got time for a little one, Matt. Well, this is the story I mentioned earlier. This is the one that links to verification and online identity. Um, With services like Facebook and Roblox, of course, age is a major factor. Uh, Facebook postponed the launch of Instagram for kids, and Mm -hmm. most social media networks 
place uh, an entry level age limit of 13 to sign up for new accounts. But of course, there's nothing that actually stops someone underage clicking a different date of birth in a sign up form or an age gateway. So wouldn't it be good if artificial intelligence could do that for us to identify mm. when someone is too young and simply lock them out of the system? So this is the biometric data chip the child at birth argument? Well, thankfully, no, although my view is that they should be chipped and a, a satellite with a laser gun tracks them until they're 18, but you know, <laughs> I am an outlier. Uh, and, and if anyone uh, you says, says, you know, you can't play God in that way, I am happy to apply for the job. Um, but no, this is a system that uses facial recognition, uh, not to identify someone from a database, but to use its neural net to take a good guesstimate of someone's age. The system uh, being pioneered, um, if that's the right word, it's by a British startup called Yoti, and it estimates the uh, age of a person. Uh, it can estimate them between 6 and 60 years old, by which I don't mean that it'll tell you that someone's between 6 and 60. We can all do that. Um, below 6, it's not very accurate. After 60, it's not very accurate. And right. this can be used online uh, and in shops and stores where, of course, a lot of products are age-restricted. Uh, so for things like you know, uh, buying alcohol, tobacco, that kind of stuff? Yeah, and also for the things that we think about less, like dangerous chemicals in hardware stores, right. uh, it can also be used on the door at you know events and bars and clubs where there may be age restrictions. The idea is that the machine can flag uh, whether a member of staff should be requiring proof of age from that customer at the point of sale or entrance. And the company says their software is accurate to about 2.79 years in guessing someone's age. And in the under 25 age group, which is the kind of key demographic, that drops to around one and a half years. Mm. And those younger age groups, of course, are the ones that tend to face, face rather the most age prohibitions. Um, what about the privacy aspect then? Usual question. Well, Yoti states that it doesn't store the images that it captures. Uh, it analyzes them, it gives an estimate, and they're gone. Uh, there is also the argument that, you know, do you need a computer to tell you to ask for someone's age verification? Uh, door staff at venues are pretty seasoned at catching someone's age, as are staff in, you know, supermarkets, convenience stores. Mm. And of course, how difficult is it to just ask someone for proof of age without an AI having to prompt you? It gets a little bit trickier when you get online, uh, as we pointed out earlier. You know, we, we do need to find a way to keep kids away from adult and gambling sites. And this does seem like one solution. Uh, my spidey senses are tingling. Uh, I, I sense that there is a butt coming. As with many facial recognition systems, it's been noted that they work most efficiently with, of course, light-skinned males. Ah. Uh, the accuracy decreases for women in general, and of course, the darker your skin is, the less accurate it tends to be. Partly because the data, set, uh, data sets used to train neural networks often contain a disproportionate number of those light-skinned males or pasty nomarchs, as mm -hmm. you and I would be called back home. You know, beyond that, 
privacy advocates are, are worrying that surveillance of children especially is becoming increasingly pervasive and intrusive. So my laser idea is a non-starter. But however well meant, this technology just adds another layer of surveillance at a time when many advocates are actually pushing for legal bans on biometric tracking of children. Yeah. And just to square the circle, as it were, as we move towards that future of the metaverse where our online experience may become far richer and more intense uh, and perhaps even more explicit, we will need to strike that balance between protecting those who are at risk and limiting the technology that tracks and surveils them. Thank you very much for that, Matt. Uh, Of course, you can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about CulturePop and its consulting services. My name is Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.